0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, I want to welcome all of you worshiping online with us this morning, and I hope that by participating online, it's uh, you are spiritually encouraged this morning. As a young boy, what got me uh, liking books, interested in books and, and reading, and actually reading books, was, um, was me reading my dad's Western uh, Louis L'Amour books as a child. And I, I loved reading these books. I loved reading about the lone cowboy who lived a solitary life and lived life up in the mountains and in nature and then would wander into a town one day and and in every single book, there was some sort of conflict emerged in this town. And then uh, every book ended, so predictable, but so good to read. Uh, every book ended with the lone cowboy having a showdown with a gang of outlaws. And the, the lone cowboy would always come out on top. And as a, young, as a young kid, I admired these lone cowboys. I mean, they were strong. They were self-sufficient. They survived on their own. They didn't need anybody. They were um, self-confident. But underneath all of this facade of strength and sort of an attitude, like I can do my life on my own, underneath all of this, I mean, for, without any exception, every cowboy longed for family. They longed for community. They longed to sink deep roots into a place and a town, and, and they wanted to belong someplace. Well, did you know that from the beginning of everything, you and I were created for community? We were. We were. Even though you may feel like keeping your distance from people, you might feel like you don't need anybody in your life, you may even think that you can live the Christian life on your own, you were created to live in communion with God and community with the people around you. And the story of creation in Genesis 1 highlights the communal aspects of the image of God. God says this, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God speaks about himself here in the third person, and he uses the plural words of us and our to refer to himself. And we know that God exists as the Trinity. Uh, He exists in a community of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And they enjoy complete unity, perfect love, and yet there's diversity among these three persons and in Genesis God then makes humankind he makes them male and female and so we see that humans in relationship with each other reflect the divine image in a way that no solitary individual can reflect God's image because God exists in community then and we know that we are then created to reflect his divine image and live in community with one another The late theologian Stanley Grenz, he says this, because God is a plurality in unity, the ideal for humankind does not focus on solitary persons, but on persons in community. God intends that we reflect the divine nature in our lives. Consequently, he says this, true Christian living is life in relationship, life in community. We were created for community. And as we look at the world around us, it is so clear there's a hunger in people to connect with one another, to be in community. I mean, all you have to do is just look at the massive, massive rise in social media the last 10 years. People are dying to connect with one another, want to connect with one another, want to be in relationship with one another. If you do even just a little bit of research around loneliness, you will discover that loneliness is becoming a pandemic pandemic and people seem powerless to do anything about it. And what seems to be taking place in our society is a slow social disintegration. Even though there exists a desire for community and connection between human beings, the social fabric of our society is really falling apart and not even the nuclear family seems able these days to provide this relational stability. The extended family has really ceased to exist In North America in particular, but still in other parts of the world, the extended family does exist. And catch this, this, even though uh, on Facebook right now, you can see one-eighth of the world's population is connected to Facebook. Almost one-eighth of the world's population. But in an article entitled, Is Facebook Making Us Lonelier? The author agrees that online relationships can never make up completely for the absence of the real thing. The real thing being actual people in the flesh, being in community face to face. There is undeniable evidence all around us that people are desperate and longing to be in community, to connect in meaningful relationships. And it's into into this story, into all that I've just described, church, that we have as Christians the remarkable opportunity to create life-giving community. We just saw from Scripture that God made us to live in community as a reflection of His divine nature, of who He is as the Godhead, the Trinity, three in one. And if anybody should understand and really get community, it should be us as Christians and Christ followers. We have an opportunity to create Christian community where Jesus is at the center. And because of the way that we interact with one another, People will notice and be attracted to the way that we are kind with one another, loving and sharing and generous and sacrificing and looking out for the benefits of others. Even the way that we challenge one another appropriately and hold each other accountable, even that is attractive. And all of this, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, will be the aroma of Christ, will be the evidence of Christ to those people who do not know Jesus yet. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is what does this kind of Christian community look like that we were created for by God? What would the ideal picture look like for our small groups and our missional communities and our home churches and our men's groups and women's groups and young adult supergroups, all these kinds of communities that we have around Center Street? What would Jesus want these communities to look like? And to answer this question, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 2. So turn in your Bibles if you have them. Acts chapter 2, and Luke was, Luke was the author of Acts. And in chapter 1, he describes how Jesus gathered with his disciples and Jesus went to heaven and disappeared from their presence. And then Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And in chapter 2, God's Spirit comes and rests on these disciples and it looks like there's fire resting above their heads and, and God's Spirit empowered them. So right away they could speak languages from far-off nations and tell people from those nations who were in Jerusalem about Jesus Christ. And then Peter gets up in front of this great crowd and he preaches a message and 3,000 people believed that day and were baptized. And then we come to verse 42, which describes really how these early Christians connected to one another in community. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And what Luke describes for us here is a pure and full description of the kind of community that these early Christians participated in. And it describes the kind of community that I myself want to live in and live out. And it's the kinds of community that I dream that we see more and more and more of here at Center Street Church. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to motivate you. I want to invite you. I want to inspire you. I want to even convince you to help create these kinds of communities. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people who don't know Jesus yet, for the sake of what Jesus has done for us and his power in us, enabling us to live, for the sake of God's kingdom expansion, could we be a church that creates these kinds of communities that we read about here? So first of all, a Christian community is devoted to becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus, more like Jesus. They were devoted to Jesus um, Luke says in Acts chapter 2 Luke says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer and the word they here obviously it refers to all of these 3000 new believers and, and the other people in Jerusalem who were believers they they all were hungry to learn they were devoted to the apostles teaching and the apostles were the 12 disciples that Jesus had closely connected to him these 12 disciples and <clears throat> In those days, obviously, they didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to talk about Jesus' life and ministry. And so the apostles were the ones who were closest to Jesus. But these early believers had the apostles. And you see the picture here of the apostles meeting in homes and teaching. And then there were daily gatherings that took place at the temple. And they were teaching there. And, and people were praying and sharing and living life together. And this was an oral culture. right? They just told stories. And so... All over the place, stories about Jesus and parables were told and retold and told and retold. But what's clear is people in these gatherings were devoted to being disciples, apprentices of Jesus. Jesus Christ was the center of their community and they longed to learn about them and know him and live out how Jesus wanted them to live. The word devoted here means to persist, to engage steadfastly. It's a word that describes commitment and intentionality. And this this verse here calls you and I to sort of enroll in school again and be devoted to learning about Jesus, to be devoted disciples of Jesus. And are you a part of this kind of a community that's devoted to Jesus like this, learning about him, a community where what you learn about Jesus doesn't actually just stay factual in your head, you don't become fat with knowledge and teaching and instruction and information, but what you learn, you're intentional about practicing and actually living out. Living it out. The persistent problem and temptation for us as Christians is that we know so much about Jesus, but we find it so difficult to actually obey Jesus. To actually do what he tells us to do, especially in western part of the world we have access to so much knowledge we probably have two or three bibles in our homes or more we have books and podcasts and cds and sermons we're taught so much about jesus but what you see in most of western christianity is just a failure to obey jesus few verses earlier in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, actually, Peter is preaching to this massive crowd of people, and he actually declares truly who Jesus is. He says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah, Lord and Messiah. God has made Jesus a Messiah, which in the Greek is Christos, which means the anointed one, the chosen one, the savior of the world, the one who was to come. And Peter says, God has made this Jesus Lord, which in Greek is Kyrios, which means the supernatural master over all of life. The owner of your estate, all of your possessions and your property. The ruler who has ultimate authority over every sphere of your life. Jesus is made Lord. Is Jesus Lord of your life? The supernatural master over every sphere of your life. The community that you're a part of have you collectively acknowledged Jesus as Lord over your community, the master over all of your life? How many of you live life sort of different, different gods for different spheres of your life? When you're here at church, and right now even, you've got a God for worship and church, and then tomorrow you've got sort of a God for work, and you've got a God for family, a God that helps you filter through what movies you watch, a God that... that Helps you consider how you spend your resources and your finances. And and Jesus as Lord is only partially master over your life. But you've got these other gods. These early Christians were devoted to Jesus at the center of their community. Jesus at the center of their life as Lord. Supernatural master over all. Have you been lazy in following Jesus? You wouldn't describe yourself as devoted, undevoted, maybe. What is Jesus saying to you these days? What are you learning about him from your Bible reading or conversations with other Christians in your prayer life? What is Jesus saying to you about himself these days? And how are you responding to him? Is Jesus saying, I need to be Lord of your life, master over all? None of this partial master stuff. Or maybe you're just trying to live the Christian life alone. As a solitary individual, me and Jesus, that's all you need. That's what you think. Well, you can't live the Christian life alone. It's impossible. You can't. Which brings us to our second point here. Christian community. A Christian community is devoted to loving each other as family. Loving each other as family. Luke goes on to say in Acts, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. I mean, this is a beautiful description of family. I want to be a part of this. Family of people stepping up and helping each other, giving sacrificially. Well, God was at work doing wondrous signs and miracles, and people were sharing and giving and selling and generous and caring and noticing the needs of others and meeting the needs of others. And they actually took responsibility for others. They were sacrificing for others. And you know what their core motivation was here in all of this that we just read? Their core motivation was not on themselves. It wasn't on individualism, their individualistic selves, but their focus was on others, on the people around them. Their mission was to bless others and serve others and care for others. It's really an amazing description of Christian community, of family. And we estimate that about half of us here at Central Campus are a part of some form of community, small group or other form of community. But why not all of us? Why not all of us participating together to create this kind of community? And I hope that this morning some of you are going to be grabbed by this description here in Acts chapter 2, and that you're going to hear Jesus speaking to you about this. And maybe you'll invite two or three other people around you and say, can we create this kind of community, this kind of small group, extended family? I hope that's the case, and we can help you do that. But why don't we all experience community like we just read about here? Why is this the case? Well, one of the greatest motivators within us to resist community is individualism. And individualism is this deep-seated bias that we have within us against anything that doesn't serve our own interests. And more specifically, this individualistic mindset is applied to the relationships that we have with people around us. And and this mindset causes us to say things like this, well, I don't think that small group is going to serve my needs. I'm not going to do that. I don't think community will serve my needs. Or I don't think that friendship will serve my needs. Or We make statements like, you know what, I'm going to distance myself from those people because it's just not working out for me. And we're always so focused on ourselves. Individualism causes us to think about me, myself, and I instead of we and us and our. And even though we may want this deeper sense of community and connection around us because we feel lonely, we feel isolated, we feel all alone, Rarely do we make the changes in our lives to commit to community, and this is just a fact for many of you, for many of you. Historians actually believe that the invention of the glass mirror that we all have in our homes, the invention of the glass mirror was a key factor in the rise of individualism in the 13th century. And long, along with the other changes that the Renaissance brought about in our society, the glass mirror actually enabled people to see themselves as an individual for the first time. They could see themselves standing alone, solitary, apart from the crowd, and they could admire themselves, and they could expect them, inspect themselves and examine themselves. And this is a factor that gave rise to us being so focused on self as individual persons. Individualism and narcissism. Are so closely connected. And unless we move away from individualistic thinking and narcissism and thinking about ourselves, we will probably never experience the kind of community that we long for. As well, think about the stove that we each have in our homes. A stove. Before, prior to the invention of indoor cooking ability with stoves, most cooking was communal and still is. And Many parts of the world. Prior to the indoor stove, families would gather together in a central area, and sometimes multiple families would gather together and bring food together, prepare food together, and eat food together. But with the invention of the stove, cooking was moved indoors, into homes, into individual homes, and cooking is primarily done in isolation. I mean, when was the last time that you prepared a meal together with others and then sat down and ate it? When was the last time that that happened? with the rise of cities, with the rise of the ability of people to own their own homes, the ease of transportation, fenced back yards that protect our property and our private space, and the shrinking of smaller front yards, the fact that people just don't walk around in their neighborhood very much anymore. The invention of the telephone means that no one really walks to your front door and knocks on your front door to get a hold of you, even though the ironic fact is that we all have doorbells on our homes. But rarely do people ring them, unless they want to sell you something, really. I mean, this is the culture that we live in, and even people sometimes text message each other, and they're sitting in the exact same room with each other. I mean, there's, there's some key factors in our society, and we can't ignore them, that contribute to an ever-increasing difficulty for people to actually spend time face-to-face with each other in the same room to spend time in community with one another. It's so easily to remain isolated. And this isn't the way that God created us to live. North Americans are more solitary than ever before. In 1950, less than 10% of households contained one person. In 2010, nearly 27% of households contained one person. One in four homes one person lives in. In 1985, 10% of North Americans said they had no one to discuss important matters with. And in 2004, and this statistic is already 10 years old almost, 25% of people said they had no one to discuss important matters with. And 20% said they had one confidant, which means that 40% of the people North Americans have one person or no one to discuss important matters with, and no wonder people are making terrible decisions these days. They don't have anybody to talk to. And these verses in Acts call you and I to love people in community like family. And a key word in this text here in Acts chapter 2 is the word homes, that they broke bread, they ate with one another, they prayed, they met together in homes. And the word home here is oikos, which means household. And all of the people that were connected by marriage, by blood, all of the people that worked in these homes, all of the people relationally connected to these homes were households, were oikos, were extended family together. And there were these extended families all over Jerusalem and the surrounding area and If you were new to the Christian faith, you were invited to be part of family. If you were still seeking out who Jesus was, you were invited to be part of the family. If you just wanted to hang out with these people in community, you were invited to be part of the extended family, the Icos, the household. And presumably these communities would grow larger and larger as people gathered to them and they would explode outside of the house and then they would continue to meet in other homes And what we read here is that the gospel spread from house to house, from family to family, from oikos to oikos, household to household. And this is how the gospel spread because they actually, they actually loved each other like family, like family. And I know this to be a fact. There's a deep yearning in people to live in community like this. I know of some young families who don't have parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles here in Calgary who would love to be a part of a community like this. I know single parents who would love to be a part of a community like this for support and help, and I know seniors who don't have children or grandchildren living around them who would love to be sort of adoptive grandparents and be a part of a community like this, be a part of family. And church, if we could live this way, I know that there's people who don't know Jesus yet that would love to experience this, that would love to be a part of this kind of community because they see the way that we would care for one another and share with one another and they would join and they would actually see evidence of a God who enables us to live this way because it's just not the norm, actually. So who are you in community with? Who is part of your extended family? Who could you invite to be a part of your group, your community, whatever you have as your community? And if you're not part of a community yet, and I want to encourage you, could you gather with a few other people and begin prayerfully exploring how to create an Acts chapter 2, verse 42 kind of community? Could you do that? Finally, a Christian community longs to see people saved, It just longs to see people saved to come to know Jesus. I mean, Luke ends his description of these early Christian communities by saying this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, what a magnificent description of what God was doing by his spirit in this early time of the church. Daily people were acknowledging Jesus as their Savior. Daily. And this happened in homes. Homes spread all around the area. And the question I have in my brain is, how did this happen? I mean, what was going on in these daily activities, these communities that met every day in homes, and then there were gatherings at the temple, and all the stuff was going on that we read about? What was happening? And obviously, in some way, these Christians were sharing their faith. They were talking about their faith. They were modeling and living the way out that Jesus wants us to live. And people saw that, but it's been my experience that when, when Christians begin talking about people sharing their faith, about evangelism, about talking with others about Jesus, sometimes we as Christians feel a little bit guilty or we feel a little bit inadequate because we just don't know how to talk with people, maybe, in a way that's normal and natural and authentic about Jesus, about the faith that we have. And if you feel inadequate to do that, I wanna encourage you to go to our apple seed area. There's some books and tools and resources in there. And uh, if you remember back to last summer, we let you all know about this thing called the 35 day challenge. Just a simple step-by-step process to encourage you to be able to share with people and talk with people about your faith. But, but I want you to know this, if you've ever felt guilty or inadequate about sharing your faith, I want you to know that there are Christian leaders who have shared their faith in terrible and horrendous ways. So just know that. And I want to tell you a story about Eugene Peterson. right The guy that translated or paraphrased the New Testament into the message. And this great Christian author and great pastor. Eugene Peterson tells how on his third day of grade one, He was going to school, and he met this guy named Garrison, who ended up being a terrible bully to Eugene. And every day Eugene would go to school, Garrison would bully him and beat him up and just cause trouble for him, and Eugene would try and find a different way home from school, and that didn't help at all. Garrison would find him and still beat him up and cause trouble for him. Then Eugene went one day and said to his mom, hey, Garrison is beating me up. Like, I've got this issue, and... His mom said, well, just turn the other cheek and bless those who persecute you. And I mean, that's great biblical advice, but for a grade one kid, that maybe not be completely helpful to him. So Garrison kept on bullying Eugene, and then Garrison found out that Eugene was a Christian. And I mean, that just took the bullying to a whole nother level. And he would get beat up, and Garrison would call him Jesus Sissy, and this kept on going on until one day in March... And Eugene was walking home with some of his friends and Garrison caught up to him and started taunting and jabbing Eugene. And then Eugene says this, something snapped within me, totally uncalculated and out of character. And for just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness and I grabbed Garrison. And to my surprise and his, I realized I was stronger than he was. And I wrestled him to the ground and I sat on his chest and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees and I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists and it felt good. I hit him again and blood spurted out from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. He's so poetic here. And again... I said to Garrison, say uncle, and he wouldn't say it, and I hit him again, more blood, and then my Christian training reasserted itself, and I said, say I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, (laughs) and he wouldn't say it, so I hit him again, and there was more blood, and then I tried again, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and then Garrison said it, and he was my first Christian convert, (laughs) I mean... If you feel guilty or inadequate because you don't share your faith, just know that there are people that have done it terrible. (laughs) Terrible. But here's here's the thing, church. If we're honest with ourselves, what you find in some churches is that no one, actually, is talking about Jesus with anybody. No one is talking about Jesus with people who don't know him yet. And we find this in Christian communities and and in churches at large. And what some Christian communities have done, small groups and the like, is they've isolated themselves and they've insulated themselves and they've constructed meeting together as a Christian huddle, as an enclave. And sometimes they don't even allow other Christians to join them. And this happens, church. Church. This is not the kind of community that we see here in Acts chapter 2. And instead, we see the gospel spreading through relationships and friendship from house to house, from family to family. And many people who didn't know Jesus yet as their Savior were invited into these communities, into homes, to be family. They were invited to participate. They were invited to come. They were invited to belong. They were invited to share. They were invited to be a part of family. Could you invite people that you know who don't know Jesus yet to be a part of your small group, your your community, however you define it? Could you do that? Would you begin a relationship even with someone this summer? It's so nice outside. It's great to have barbecues and get friends and people together so that maybe in the future you can invite them to be a part of your community that you create. There's no doubt that Jesus is the one who saves us from our sin. And every single person on the face of this earth is helpless without Jesus as their savior. He's the one who saves, period. And our neighbors and our friends and our relatives and people that we have yet to meet in our future need to be introduced to Jesus. And church, we should feel a sense of urgency about this. Maybe not guilt, but a sense of urgency about this. We should He's their only hope to living this life and life in eternity. And if you were a part of a community that loved each other like family, if you were part of a community that loved Jesus passionately and was devoted to him and and saw Jesus as Lord, supreme master over all of your life, if you were part of a community where actually you shared your possessions in common and if someone needed some money, a bunch of you got together and had a garage sale or sold something on Kijiji and used that money to give it to them to meet their need, if you were a part of a community where you enjoyed regular meals together and you ate together and you met in homes and you invited friends and family and coworkers to be a part of your community, if you were a part of a community that actually liked each other and were glad to meet with each other and pray together, and if we prayed and God did miracles in our midst, If we lived out this kind of community, church, a watching world would see hard evidence. They would see evidence that Jesus is alive in us, individually and collectively, and they would want to be a part of this kind of community. And God willing, maybe we would see the day, church, where daily people are added to our number here people being saved maybe we would see that let's close in prayer together father I want to thank you for creating us to live in community thank you for being a God that exists in community Thank you for making us in a way that we need one another to follow you, to be discipled, to be sharpened, to be held accountable, to be challenged. We are your people, God, as a church, which you redeemed with the blood of your own son. And as people, we belong to you and we represent you, God, in this world. So help us to live communal lives. Help us to live in community with one another. Help us to live holy lives. Help us to resist temptation. Help us to live such good and caring and loving and generous and sacrificial lives so that others may see your life in us and be drawn to know you, Jesus, as their Savior. And now as you go from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his his face shine radiantly upon you. May He be gracious to you, so gracious to you. May God's Spirit empower you to serve others and share your faith at just the right time with the people that He's leading you to. May His Spirit enable you to love. And may His Spirit give you peace until we meet again. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.